Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have uh, John Benzie with me, who I really can't even say John. It's more so <laughs> it's just Mr. B. And one of the things that I've never opened up a, a podcast like this, but for me, one of the things I hope that you guys will get to see is the kind of the patterns and the people that we've interviewed um, and what they have learned throughout their life, but also not just the patterns, but the people that make the difference in your life. And so, Mr. B, you've been one of those for me. You know, he's been like a second dad. He's been someone that um, has always been there. And I think one of the things that you look back and you see how God orchestrates things, and it might be people, might be circumstances, situations. Sometimes it's organically, sometimes it's intentionally. And for whatever reason, organically, our parent or my parents, uh, you know, became friends with you, and yeah. and that happened. So it's really special for me to have you on mm-hmm. and to tell your story. Um, and the lessons that you've learned throughout that. So excited to have you on. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Good yeah. to be here, Bales. If you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and start us off. Give us a little background on yourself, you know, where you grew up and some of those things that you learned along the way. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in uh, the northern part of Kentucky, a small town called Edgewood, where uh, everybody knew each other. Um, we, uh, I spent 30 years there. I thought I'd die there. Most people that grow up in that area stay in that area. Yeah. Most of my best friends today are my uh, second grade uh, friends, and, and a lot more came on board in high school. But it's just the type of community where everybody, again, stays in touch and, and knows each other. Granted, it's grown significantly since I grew up there. Uh, the two-lane roads have become highways. But, um, but our friendships have endured, and so that's, uh, that's where I grew up. Um, we moved to Tulsa in 1991, so now I've got about 30 years in Kentucky and now 30 years in Oklahoma. I consider myself an Okie at this point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I left Kentucky kicking and screaming. Uh, Kathy, my wife, uh, was ready to make a move. Mm-hmm. And again, I thought I was going to die in Kentucky. Which I still might. Who knows? But yeah. It'll probably be on a trip back there. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I live there. Yeah. Uh, but um, she wanted to move to Tulsa, or she wanted to move, and we had an opportunity uh, with a job, a, a family business uh, called High Corp. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we moved to Tulsa when she was pregnant with our first son, Tyler, mm-hmm. uh, who's one of your best buds. So... Um, yeah, it, it was scary, frankly, but it turned out just to be a really great move. And, mm-hmm. and you can see, looking back, how God had his hand on things. Uh, yeah. Well, so, did you have any siblings or, uh, growing up? or what, I did, like? yeah. I had a pretty unique family, actually. So um, we grew up, again, in an area where people didn't have much money, but nobody knew it because nobody else had <laughs> It's just the way we did things. Uh, and just the way we lived, which was great, wouldn't trade it for anything. But 
I did grow up uh, in a household with two Down syndrome siblings. So my oldest brother, Dave, uh, was Down syndrome. And then there was Don, Jim, myself. And then there was Mary Lou. Uh, Mary Lou is three years my younger, and she was also Down syndrome. So if you're doing research on that, you'd see if the odds of having two in one family is absolutely off the charts. Mm-hmm. And so, but it really, uh, it made for... Uh, interesting but great dynamics and it's really formed me to who I am today I think Um, my dad died at uh, age 53 and um, and so mom was left to raise Dave and Mary Lou Uh, so but that's uh, that was certainly impactful in my life but yeah so that's uh, that's my siblings well, I know it's it, they've been super impactful in your life, and mm-hmm. family is very big to you. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But what are the things that you learned from them that have translated into everything that you do as well? Uh, my mom and dad were devout Catholics. I uh, would never miss church. I would never miss church. Uh, I was a box checker, frankly, at the time. Didn't really understand relationships with Christ uh, like my parents understood. Uh, but they they uh they would they would always attend church so i, I did that uh, and dave and mary lou they were extremely impactful i think as i look back the unconditional love you get with uh down syndrome with a lot of down syndromes uh individuals is just off the charts mm-hmm. so you know you're going to get a hug when you walk in and you're going to get they're happy to see you and it's pretty neat not only did it carry over to me in my life, but when I talked to my buddies uh, who would hang out at our house, our house was a gathering place, uh, they would say that they're different people because of Dave and Mary Lou and the Mm -hmm. unconditional love that they saw. And frankly, because my mom and dad too, just the fact that they raised uh, two Down syndrome siblings. David was born in a period where a lot of uh, handicapped and and Down syndrome kids were institutionalized, but uh, mom and dad chose to raise them, and that was uh, uh, that was certainly impactful, not just to our family, but to the community. Mm-hmm. And you said that you kind of grew up with, you know, not not a ton, but you were very content, very happy. What did you do growing up? Like, what are the things you did in your downtime? I know that uh, I don't know many people that are as gifted at playing all different types of sports as you are. <laughs> Thank you. Whether it be wiffle ball, baseball, <laughs> basketball, oh. it could be anything. So. That's because that's what we did growing up. Yeah. That's what we were, we were in the summertime. We left the house in the morning. We came back for a bologna sandwich at lunch yeah. and then we'd go back out until 5.30, dinner's on the table. So in football season, we played football, basketball season, basketball, baseball, we played wiffle ball or baseball. And so... Uh, yeah, so that's probably why I, I'm sure that's why I'm fairly well-rounded in yeah. a lot of different sports. But you, yeah, so that's what we, we, yeah, our our neighborhood was our playground. Mm-hmm. Can you look back and see through those experiences, like some things that, you know, you're in sales now, mm-hmm. you see how those experiences kind of shaped you into what you're doing currently? Like in terms of a relational component, like getting well, people I think, connecting. Well, I think, yeah, I think you can always, you can look back at relational. And so, uh, and I've always been one that likes relationships, like to be with people. So, and that, I, I, I haven't really given that a whole lot of thought, Bailey. 
but uh, I, I suspect, yeah, that that had that that was certainly where things were probably developed mm-hmm. uh, in in back in my youth. But yeah, I, yeah, I haven't really given that much thought on how that that those experiences have impacted me. Maybe it was just today. the skyline chilly in the game. <laughs> <laughs> You better explain to your viewers what that is. Yeah. If they're not from Cincinnati, they yeah. won't know what you're talking about. Well, Skyline Chili is the, <laughs> the chili that you put on like the world's best hot dogs. So that's right. Yeah. So there's you, what you got to know about their interviewer. Yeah. The kid would come over to the house and <clears throat> they wouldn't eat anything. But at some point, I sold them on the world famous hot dog. Yeah. It wasn't just any old hot dog. It was world, world famous. famous. And so I got him and his brother to start eating hot dogs at our house. Uh, <laughs> and it worked. Because they were world famous. Yep, yep. Right from Oscar Mayer. He's, some, he's a world famous guy. With some Skyline chili. And, <laughs> I don't think you've been able to get me on the ghetto, though. The ghetto uh, hasn't, yeah. hasn't hit yet. Your dad, uh-huh. I think, he's really close. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you better look up ghetto, too. I'm not going to try to explain that one to you. Every time I make it, I take a picture of it in a frying pan and I send it to your dad. Uh-huh. I say, come on over. Breakfast is ready. Yeah. So obviously sports, you played a lot of sports growing up, but what about, mm-hmm. you know, you're a big Cincinnati fan, Reds, Bengals, which you haven't had too much to root for. We're still recently, uh, you guys well, on the up and up, so. <laughs> yes, spoken from a Cardinals fan <laughs> who's spoiled because uh, every year you're in contention. Yeah. Now, as a Reds fan, you really kind of still live in the 70s is what uh, you do with the big red machine long before your time, so. For you old folks out there, you know what I'm talking about. So yeah, we're still living in the past. Yeah, and and not terribly optimistic, but uh, there's a glimmer of hope every now and then that yeah. we'll make a Super Bowl or make a World Series. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's uh, you know it builds character being a Cincinnati sports fan because there's um, challenges after challenges uh, <laughs> that uh, we never quite get past the finish line uh-huh but you guys got a lot of a lot of uh an optimistic future for the Bengals with joe burrow yeah joe burrow and, and joe burrow uh, looks good we had a good draft a, a good good receiver good draft we got a good draft but uh but we prepare ourselves for things to go wrong so we have a feeling to you know something will go wrong you just brace yourself when you're yeah. a cincinnati fan that i don't mean to sound pessimistic but it's just well you know re- what just reality you know we're we're gonna have uh, hopefully at some point we'll have brad Cragthorpe, <laughs> who's over with the Bengals. we'll get his side of the story <laughs> so he's on staff right now we'll is see. he still coaching with the Bengals? yeah we'll see we'll see what he has to say. oh yeah well yeah. he he's got to be optimistic he's a coach they yeah. pay him money to, yeah yeah so he's got to uh be optimistic but he didn't live through uh you know now 50 years of this stuff yeah yeah speaking of optimism do you feel like you're a naturally optimistic person or or are you pessimistic i am i mean everybody wants to say they're optimistic sure am i i think i'm very realistic and that might get in the way of optimism sometimes if that makes any sense at all but i'd say overall uh yeah i I would say i'm an optimistic person Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm So did you have any, going back to uh, sports and the Bengals yeah. and the Reds, do you have any, who were your people that you looked up to growing up at a young age? Like some Oh, of yeah, them? well, you know, these are, as you get older, you realize that when you're looking up the athletes, you're looking at the wrong guys. And mm-hmm. Charles Barkley years ago said uh, something to the effect is, say, parents, don't make me your kid's role model. And at the time, I thought that was terribly arrogant and not cool at all. But as I get as I growing to understand what he's talking about, it makes perfect sense. So when I was a kid, uh, yeah, did I, 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 
idolize is a strong word. I sure um, looked up to uh, the Pete Roses and the Johnny Benches, Joe Morgans, mm-hmm. Tony Perez's of the world, uh, and um, and with the Bengals, uh, Kenny Anderson, who it's interesting enough, he's become a friend of mine over the years, but he was a quarterback for the Bengals back in the uh, 82 Super Bowl, and he, he should be in the Hall of Fame. So for all you out there, if you're voting for the Hall of Fame, Kenny should be in. Yeah. So, but it's kind of fun that he's become a friend, and and uh, and it's a guy that in my childhood I certainly looked up to. Mm-hmm. In fact, I worked for his. He had a beer distributorship uh, back in Kentucky, and I worked at that for a while. I got to know him a little bit there. Yeah. But then we had some other common commonalities. My godson ended up being his nephew. Really. Pretty neat how things uh, play out. Yeah. 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 So did you, when you were growing up, you go through high school, mm-hmm. get into college, did you uh, plan on going to college, or how did how did you wind up at the college you went to? Well, yeah, college, I went to Northern Kentucky University, which I, I still lived at home at the time. Um, most, a good portion of my buddies went there, and a good uh, portion of them went to University of Kentucky. I was always going to go to college, uh, but I... And I was probably always going to go to Northern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I was um, immature back then, frankly, and I, I I didn't want to move away from home either. I kind of liked being home and my buddies. It was really kind of a, a small college at the time. Very, It was an extension of high school in a lot of ways mm-hmm. for us with a lot of intramural sports. So we kind of liked that. But yeah. a lot of my, my buddies and I, uh, we all went there and... And, uh, yeah, it was kind of just a progression of high school as I look back on it. Mm-hmm. But but I spent six and a half of the best years of my life there. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I say that. I, I, would, uh, I went full-time for the first couple of years, and then I, uh, then I was working full-time and going to school at night, so it took me a little bit to get through. Yeah. But, yeah. Where were you working at when you were going through college? Well, I had several jobs. Um, and I worked at uh, the beer distributorship, as I mentioned early, Ken Anderson Distributing, which brought Coors across the Mississippi back in the early 80s. So uh, for years, was Smoking the Bandit and those type of movies, if you're familiar with that, they're smuggling Coors beer across the Mississippi. Well, we weren't smuggling it. We actually brought it across yeah, the Mississippi yeah. legally. And so, uh, so yeah, I worked with that, that for a while. Uh, my early years, I worked on a golf course, um, a country club about a half a mile from the house that uh, started out caddying there and then worked in a pro shop and on the grounds crew so did uh, a lot of uh, spent a lot of time there that was kind of a social thing too it was like it was a great job any kid that can work on a golf course in their youth yeah. I highly recommend it because back in the day we could play golf anytime we wanted after two o'clock and we knew the chef, so we ate free, and <laughs> and we got paid. The other members are paying to go there, and we got paid to be there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's where a lot of the cute girls hung out too. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I'm sure just the relational component, getting to meet some of the people that were there as well. Yeah, it really uh, that was interesting too, because and I don't want to get ahead of your questions here, but no, go ahead. Uh, but the um, yeah, as I look back, and even at the time, I remember, uh, and I'm not a big goal setter, but one of my goals was, yeah, I want to 
I want to be a member here at this course someday, at mm. this golf uh, country club sometime. Yeah. That's this is what I'd like to do because I looked around and I saw what I perceived to be successful people mm-hmm. that were coming out playing golf on Saturdays and Sundays, and I'm like, that's what I that'd be cool. I yeah. want to do that. So, um, so that was a little bit of motivation actually for me to uh, uh, just work hard. And, yeah, but. Was working hard, was that something that was kind of instilled in you at a young age, or you know was what? it naturally there? Or? I, 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 I had good role models. In fact, my brother Don, whose birthday was two days ago, I just texted him uh, and said I appreciate his uh, mentorship. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he, worked, he worked his way through uh, law school, working full-time, going at night. My dad was certainly... Uh, he he was kind of the old generation, the old school where he worked uh, the nine to five each type of thing. Um, but I started working. I started caddying at the country club, uh, probably about seventh grade, and then I I just uh, hung out there. And so I think in hindsight, I kind of always liked having a little bit of money in my pocket. I'm a big saver and always have been extremely conservative with. Uh, saving in, in things, but I, I kind of like that. Now, mm-hmm. back in the day, because uh, I had a steady Mr. Charlie Muller on Saturdays and Sundays, and you'd get paid uh, $5 uh, for 18 holes, and then they'd have a side bet on the 18th with the group he played in, and if he won that side bet, then he'd give me 75 cents extra. Really? So that was big time. <laughs> That's big time. And at the same time, I worked at the Fruit Bowl. The Fruit Bowl was kind of a convenience store without gas, but it was a dive. And we'd go in at 7 and work till 10. We'd get paid a dollar an hour in cash, so it'd be 3 bucks. And then old uh, Joe and Ray, who owned the place, he'd give you 3 bucks and say, do you have anything to eat or drink? And he'd say, yeah, I had a Mountain Dew and a... Uh, Snickers bar. Okay, well that's forty five cents, and you'd walk out of there with two fifty, and yeah. What was this? This is nineteen oh five. Is that right? <laughs> this is in the eighteen hundreds, man. Yeah, okay. yeah. This is we're talking a little before that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When minimum wage was a nickel. Yeah. So you got to do a, a few different things working growing up as well. Right? Oh yeah, I, I had other jobs too. I worked mm-hmm. in the gasket company, so I worked as a bellman at the local hotel did that for quite a while oh i cut grass uh, just on the side yeah so yeah i guess yeah working uh working hard was kind of uh yeah something i've just always done mm-hmm. i say working hard loosely i learned later on in life that working smarter not harder and you had asked me about influential things people might have said to me or something like that and a guy said to me, the guy I worked with at the beer company uh, who ran the place, Joe Yagel, he, uh, he used to always say, just work smarter. You don't have to work harder, work smarter. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. As you get older, you realize, yeah, that, there's something to that. Not yeah. to say, I think in your youth, working hard is very healthy. Go out there and, and cut the grass and, mm-hmm. and sweat your tail off and work hard. And, yeah. But I think as you get older, <laughs> you know, that working smarter. Uh, is a good thing. Yeah, almost like having more of an efficiency mindset. I th- absolutely. Yeah. And not to say again, when I think there's, I think there's value in young men and young women 
working hard mm-hmm. and and putting in the labor. Yeah. I, really, I really think there's value in that. Uh, but again, I think as you get older and wiser, trying to combine the two. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, growing up, how impactful were your parents in your life? Um, I oh, they're extremely impactful. Um, it was uh, interesting uh, because dad was not a sports guy and I love sports. Mm-hmm. So mom would be the one that would attend my ball games. She would, uh, she would be there um, consistently. In the Benzinger household, dinner was always at, at uh, 5.30. And if, uh, so it would be seven of, us, seven of us around the table. We all had our assigned seats. I was next to Jim, the left-hander, who would always be giving it like this, so he'd always get in my chili. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, so how impactful, yeah, my parents were extremely impactful. Mom was uh, a great role model, and her dedication to um, the family was something I probably took for granted when I was young, but as you get older and look back, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, her husband dies at 53, She's got two Down syndrome siblings that she's raising. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she's amazing. That's what she is, and still is. She's ninety three, be ninety three here shortly, and still going strong. So this COVID really knocked a little wind out of her sails from her social life. But mm-hmm. uh, she'll get back to playing euchre with the girls, and yeah. <laughs> she she does line dancing, so she likes that line dancing with a lot of the nuns, uh-huh. and then she'll also, uh, oh my gosh, she's a member of the Hibernians, okay, and she is just, uh, she's awesome, yeah. she's, it's just cool, she's Great. really, um, yeah, she's well respected in the community, uh, people certainly that know her, mm-hmm. uh, look up to her, and and she's just overcome a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, th- nobody wants her husband to die at 53. Yeah. Most people don't, I don't think. But, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Well, so you had someone to, to look up to in the way that she handled all those things and really pushed through some some really challenging situations that many people um, don't always react well to and respond well to. So you were able to watch that. Oh, yeah. I got to witness it. Yeah, I was a front row seat for mm-hmm. all this stuff. And it, she would just say, you know, that's just what we did. You just do what you needed to do. You don't think about it. You just do it. Yeah. And and I see that mindset, not just with her, but a lot of that generation. That's a great takeaway right yeah, there. Yeah, you just don't you don't think about mm-hmm. it, particularly at the time. Um, you don't think about, uh, you know, even raising kids. If you want to have kids... Well, don't go to sit around and put a price tag on how much each kid's going to cost you when you put them through private school and, yeah. and you have to feed them and clothe them. And you may never have kids. Yeah. You'll never have kids. <laughs> You'll never have a dog if you realize how much that thing costs you. Yeah. And Austin, my, who he knows, my middle son just got a Great Dane. And uh, yikes. And he's, and he's getting married. And, yeah. and so he's got a lot on his plate. That's a, that's a, that's a full dog. That's, that's a just full a, dog, that's man. A dog. That's a full, so I hope he knows dog. what he's got himself into. Yeah. But anyway, so but you, sometimes, yeah, you just can't, you just do it. And that's what mom, I think, um, taught us. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that generation was like that, that you just, you don't think about it. Cause we grew up in a good German Catholic community where the Shreks had 10 kids uh, the neighbors had uh, 
the Stiles had eight and uh, go on down the line and yeah. these are big families so yeah. I suspect every mom did the same thing but you know back then it's, it's interesting because I mean role models were much more defined back then too so mm. you know and, and I'm not saying that's healthy or unhealthy but you know mom cooked and cleaned and 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 uh, did uh, you know the laundry and 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 those type of things? And I have a feeling, Mrs. Steidel, Mrs. Shrek, and Miss Schwarberg, and everybody in our neighborhood, that was kind of the fine role. And then mm-hmm. Dad brought home the bacon mm-hmm. and took care of the yard and things like that. Yeah. So, where you know, those lines certainly are significantly different nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you grew up with some great great role models. What about yeah? Getting out of school at Northern Kentucky, what was the first job you wound up getting into? I think yeah. you, you actually touched on it, I think, a little bit. But I did, yeah. Talk about how you wound up getting into that and where that took you. Yeah, so uh, I got into, uh, when Coors came across uh, Mississippi, um, a friend of mine's dad owned the um, distributorship. And then actually my mom's cousin, Joe Yagel, he was uh, he was running the distributorship, so... So they gave me a shot, and so I was a truck driver, and I got to drive a beer truck. Now, back then, this is, uh, here was a training for driving this gooseneck side-load uh, beer truck. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little mini 18-wheeler type of thing. Yeah. It's not like those uh, straight trucks that had the gooseneck. And so I, I go, and yeah, you got the job, Johnny. So uh, here's the keys. Go out to the mall parking lot and figure out how to drive that thing. Yeah, <laughs> that was my training. So just, just go do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was uh, back in the early '80s in Northern Kentucky. Uh-huh. I don't think you'd get away with that nowadays. But yeah. so I took it out there on a snowy winter day. So I got to fight a little bit of snow and ice and started driving around the parking lot at the uh, at the mall and figured out how. I don't think I ever really figured out how to drive the thing. I was gonna ask Backing you. that thing up was never a picnic, so. Yeah, did you ever have any close calls? <laughs> yeah, I did. I got stuck down a, I took a wrong turn, went down this one-way residential dead-end street in Dayton, Kentucky, okay. and I had to back this puppy out of there with cars on the left and right, and I'll <laughs> never forget that, but it was, um, uh, through the grace of God, we got that thing out of there, but <laughs> I was like, turning this way, no, no, turn that way, I mean, it's uh-huh. just, it was not good. I um. Uh, some of my buddies were in sales, so we were pre-sales. So the salesman would go out and write up the orders, and I was delivering on the truck. Well, I, I kind of liked their job better, you know, and so I um, applied for that. And fortunately, I spent about two months on the truck, and then I got into sales, and that was my first experience in sales. And I did. I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. So did I remember you- being on a beer truck. I was looking. I was talking, seeing some other sales guys, and. And just talking to him, not in our, uh, in our, uh, actually, I remember the bread guy or something like that. I was talking to him and he said, yeah, I'm taking off tomorrow and go and play golf. I'm like, taking off, you know, playing golf. Yeah. I want to get in sales. You can't do that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys hiring? I want I want that kind of freedom. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, yeah, I got into sales and, um, that was my, uh, my, uh, entree into sales and been doing it since. Yeah. Did you, when you got into it? Did you already have 
really good relational skills that enabled you to do well on it? Did they have, uh, did you I have think to so. find your own business? Um, or did they have a few accounts that you took over? No, I took over accounts mm-hmm. uh, mostly. And then you go try to develop a little more business. So it's a significantly different model than what I do now and have been doing for the last 30 years. Um, but it was a tough sell because in that area, uh, again, German Catholic community, there were there were three breweries, not microbreweries like you got nowadays, but larger breweries that uh, were uh, brewing beer within 10 miles of that area. And so most people had a cousin, a neighbor, an uncle of something like that that worked for one of the one of the beer distributors or uh, breweries. And so uh, it was even though you had Coors in your hip pocket, it was a tough sell back then. Yeah. But yeah. So what's your question? Relational? Do you say? Yeah, yeah I think I've always had relational skills. I was very shy up until high school. Really. And then um, yeah, and then I. Uh, broke out of that fortunately and just uh yeah just love hanging out with people and mm-hmm. so how long did you do that for oh let's see did that for seven or eight years yeah okay. and then uh then tulsa came calling so and then how did you meet kathy we met through a mutual friend kathy's uh from well she is crazy thing is the she was born in a hospital about five miles away the crow flies from where I was born. Because her dad's Presbyterian minister. They lived in uh, Finneytown, Ohio, which was 20 minutes from where I grew up. Uh, but they were only there for a couple of years, and they moved to New Jersey. Uh, from Jersey, she went to school out at uh, in Pepperdine in Malibu. And so she lived out in California for a while. She got a job with the airlines uh, with Delta. Delta was hubbed in... Cincinnati or slash Cincinnati for those who don't know Cincinnati Airport is in Kentucky so she uh, okay. she lived in uh, or she moved to Kentucky and we uh, met through a mutual friend okay mm-hmm. so you guys wound up getting married and uh, we did you heard huh? yeah I yeah, hear. yeah hear. about 31 years ago uh-huh mm-hmm. and so how long are you guys married and living in Kentucky before you guys decided to pack up and move to Tulsa? Yeah, we were just married for a couple years or so. And again, she was pregnant with Tyler when Mm -hmm. we, um, when we, uh, when we headed to Tulsa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want you to kind of talk about that a little bit because you said that you grew up in Kentucky, always thought you'd be in Kentucky for a long time. Yeah. You had great family, great friends. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you pack up and move to a totally new place mm-hmm. in Oklahoma and Tulsa that you, you yeah. really didn't know. And I think one of the big components of, you know, building excellence in your life is how do you respond to situations that occur when you have to step outside your comfort zone? And how do you go about doing that um, and, and taking that experience and making it a positive experience and a negative experience? Um, and so obviously you did, but talk about kind of the, did you have any self doubt or fear going into that situation where you're moving totally, you know, I don't know what the eight hours away, whatever that is. Maybe it's more. Boy, you drive fast, fella. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know 11, exactly what it 11 is. 11 and a half. 11 and so, a half. Okay. Yeah. So fear, uh, tremendous fear. Mm. I, again, I didn't want to go away to college. Yeah. So I was, I'm a little home buddy. Um, so I, if it were up to me, then I'd still be living there. But Kathy again was ready to, uh, look at some other 
areas. And so she's always wanted to get back to the ocean. And so I guess moving from Kentucky to Tulsa is one step closer to the, hours closer. To the Pacific. Yeah. So, <laughs> which recently we've gotten a place there. So that's really cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, you're right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of emotions that go along with that for a guy who thought he was going to be in that area for the rest of his life. And, mm-hmm. and it was, it was one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made. Um, and at the time it probably was the most difficult decision I ever made, but, uh, you know, God took care of us for sure. It's been, it's been a great decision in hindsight. But I have to, again, thank Kathy for that. She's the one that really spearheaded that. We ran into a situation um, where my brother-in-law, Brad Camp's father, who started our company back in 68, he was retiring in 91. And so Brad and I had just met each other. And he knew I was in sales, and so he invited me on board. And uh, so that was our, our ticket to Tulsa. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a big risk, and I my recollection is I told Kathy at the time, why don't we give it two years and see what happens, mm-hmm. and, and and it was tough. It was really in sales when you're starting with, uh, well, not a totally clean slate. I had a, f- a few accounts, but uh, mostly I was cold calling, and that was the days of having a binder in your hand and knocking on businesses doors mm-hmm. and trying to get through the receptionist to see if somebody will meet you yes what was what was like a typical day like for you at that point in your career well i traveled to wichita a fair amount and I'd go and then i went to dallas a lot so i would go and, and i'd have an anchor meeting or two uh say uh in in dallas uh but then uh the other time i would lock myself in the hotel room and I would never turn on the TV till after five o'clock. Um, then I would go through either manufacturer's guides or yellow pages and just look for companies that would uh, and, and, and that, that might fit our niche and just pick up the phone, either Rotary or, <laughs> or yeah. dial their phone number in and call them and uh, pray that uh, I'd get a meeting. And back back then, it's like. Uh, yeah, I'm in town. Uh, any chance we get together? And if you caught somebody at a weak moment, they said, okay, come on over. I was just so excited because I, I never liked cold calling. Still don't to this day. Yeah. Uh, but I knew I had to do it to build a business. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I did. And, uh, but, I, but I can remember, so being at, Norm, I'd say at the Days Inn in Dallas, Texas, $29 a night. Boy, I look now and I've, <laughs> I look back now and I'm like, that must be some druggy hotel or something because <laughs> there was nothing uh, elegant about it for yeah. sure. Um, but if somebody would say, yeah, yeah, I'll meet you here at 2 o'clock, I'm like, yes. I just couldn't wait to get out of that hotel room because, yeah. again, I, I just I just didn't like it, but I knew I had to do it. Yeah. So, would you go down there for the full week or just a day? Uh, or typically, a I'd spend a couple nights down there. Mm-hmm. And have uh, hopefully have at least two or three meetings, mm-hmm. uh, and then just start beating the phone. It used to be back in the day, you'd go to the Chamber of Commerce and you'd get a manufacturer's guide, and you start paging through it. Hey, these guys might be able to use something. These guys might be able to use something. Call yeah. them on the phone and and uh, see if you can get to the right person and catch them in a weak moment and 
They say, yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, uh, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was a different world back then. Yeah. A little different than that. Did, did you have any experiences where, or what were some of the experiences where you had a, a client that maybe you've been working on for a while? Um, and, or is there one particular client that, man, when you got them, it was like, finally got, got so-and-so and. Oh, wow. You started to see little things of success and kind of starts to build. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. You know, 7-Eleven, who's one of the, who's the biggest uh, mm-hmm. in the country, is um, just, I remember getting started with them early on and just uh, because they're so big, you know, you pop a, even a widget that goes into all the stores and that's a lot of widgets. Well, we've ha- had a lot of... How did that? How did that work? Did you call them multiple, multiple, multiple times, or? Yeah, I was getting to the right people. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how uh-huh. that happened. Uh, you just did frankly, it. Frankly, I, I'm sure it was just calling and calling, and and finally stumble across the right person, and hopefully make a decent impression yeah. and get that opportunity, that first opportunity, and. If you come through, you're going to get a second opportunity, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a that was a big one. I'll always remember our first meeting with Blockbuster. We were doing a tremendous amount of business with Blockbuster um, at the time because they were just building stores right and left. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just blowing and going. And uh, so, yeah, I'll never forget our first meeting with guys who had become friends of mine after a while because we'd been working so long together we we were doing we were building a display there and 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 we were prototyping it and they had they needed 4200 of them and they needed them in like eight weeks which was going to be brutal yeah but we got down there with the prototype and and it was a, a kiosk that had frames on it and we're showing them the prototype and we uh and the frames just start breaking we're like, oh, you gotta be kidding me! Really? <laughs> yeah, so they broke. We laughed, talked around it, said we can deliver. <laughs> and on a uh, on a Friday, they, they we gave them a deadline. Said you, you got to have this PO in by um, by end of day on Friday, this particular Friday. And so my uh, so Larry with who who's a had a purchasing he was on the beach in florida and this was before cell phones so we're trying to get a hold of larry larry you know you're going to do this thing or not you're going to do it and i uh, couldn't get a hold of him but um we uh we finally got an order like at five thirty that it was faxed over from his uh from his hotel that he was staying at in florida so really that was like that was one of my the funner deals the side story, so Gary Rigby, a buddy of mine who's national sales manager at the company that's, that was helping me with this project, supplying it, manufacturing it, we played golf oh, several weeks, or one or during one of our visits there, and he had this bubble burner, and so I was uh, hitting his bubble burner okay. driver and hitting it really good. He said, Johnny, he said, a blockbuster. So they pulled the trigger on this order. He said, I'm going to buy you a bubble burner. <laughs> well, they pulled the trigger at 5.30 on on Friday evening, Saturday morning at ten o'clock, I had a bubble burner sitting on my really on my uh, front porch. Yeah, FedEx had delivered a bubble burner. <laughs> so, oh, Gary, he made good on his word quick. So yeah, that was pretty neat. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
So you work your way um, into getting more accounts, building your business, yeah. building your sales. Um, you started to get success, and naturally, you know, what what were the things that really, uh, as you look back, enabled you to kind of find success and be consistent about delivering on time and and keeping those accounts? Yeah, well, um, relationships for starters. I think we develop relationships. Uh, Quicktrip has been a wonderful customer, and I've got a lot of great friends there that either retired or still work there. And uh, so uh, it's a relational aspect, but it's also just, uh, I think, um, being upfront and being, um, being honest with them. You know, fortunately, we've been able to develop a lot of neat things with them, but it's, it's mainly, I think, we've just been given a lot of cool opportunities, and so which I'll always be grateful uh, to these guys and gals that have entrusted these things to me uh, to work on. But um, let's see, what's your question again? Make sure I got this right. Yeah. So, I mean... What, what, go ahead. Ask a question. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it. Is the relational component has really enabled you to be successful? Well, sales. I think it's a relational thing. I, I, I told you this uh, before. I do believe every sale I have is a gift from God, frankly, and so I think He's got it under control for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but I think that yeah, the opportunities um, that people have given us. Uh, you know, certainly relationships come into play. You, you, you got to, I have to have my trustworthy suppliers, my go-tos that I know are going to shoot it to me straight. Mm-hmm. And if I can't deliver, if they can't deliver, they're going to tell me. And then, but I got to be the same way for my, um, my customers. I got to be, mm-hmm. I got to shoot straight. And it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I don't really consider myself a crazy creative person other than on the workforce. I mean, when I'm, my mind's a little different when I'm working for some reason. And I, I think uh, God's blessed me with some creativity on how to solve mm-hmm. problems. And I've been around you know, predominantly the C-store industry for such a long time mm-hmm. um, that I, I know a lot of the ins and outs and, and We've been able to figure out a lot of stuff together with, yeah. uh, with uh, yeah, the Quick Trips. And Loves has been a great customer for quite a few years now and getting a lot of buddies down there too. Yeah. Have you had any favorite experiences of situations where you've had to think on your feet and pro- uh, problem solve? Oh, my goodness. Let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think of anything specific. I don't mean um, to push you on the spot. No, I mean, yeah, there's... Uh, I do a fair amount with T-Mobile, uh, and I don't know if it's thinking on your feet, but again, we were after a particular fixture that mm-hmm. can only be made in China because of how the things are made and the gluing processes, and there's glues that are allowed in China that aren't allowed in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, but they're okay to bring in, you just can't use them in the United States and it's glue and clear acrylic so it becomes you can glue it and it's seamless it doesn't have bubbles and things like that so Mm -hmm. we had a situation with them where they were looking for uh, a lot of these but we just couldn't get them quick enough and so so myself and my team just came up with a totally different design that we were able to deliver and since then we've sold them a lot of them over the years so yeah and 
you know, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of others. I really can't think of any off mm-hmm. the top of my head right now. But that's what we're always doing. I, I should so that's what we do a lot. It's just, um, just work with customers and trying to figure out best ways to do things. I've got two or three initiatives right now that I'm working on with different customers that we're just trying to figure out. Uh, we can figure out a way to do things. It's trying to figure out the best way to do things. Mm. There's always a way. Yeah. But it's not always the best. Yeah. And so, you know that. That's what uh, we're. That's what I try to do, and uh, we as a team try to do, mm-hmm. is trying to figure out what's, what's the best, what's going to hold up, what's going to look nice, uh, what's going to function properly. So. Yeah. Well, um, you know, there's a lot of things that as I, look back at your story, persistence is one. Obviously, being persistent in sales. Yeah. To be able to be successful in that regard. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you had mentioned to me a while back, and I want to make sure it was known because you just mentioned it, but you had talked about how everything good comes from God. Yeah. And so if you have faith, that is something that is very important to remember. Um, it's not just, you know, we have to, I've always loved the idea or the quote behind, you know, pray like it's up to God work like it's up to you. So, you know, we know everything comes from God, but we also have to work very hard work smart, mm-hmm. um, think about efficiency, but um, know that when good things come, it's not from just our own doing. Yeah, And I think that's one of the lessons that you've taught me. Um, and I, I don't know if it's necessarily, it's not always been verbalized, but it's something that is apparent through your example. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to touch on that because that's a lesson that can be learned very easily by something you just said real quick and, and glanced yeah. over. And if you have anything, do you have anything you want to elaborate well, on? Well, I think that? I think it's not just the blessings that come uh, from God, but I think the inviting God into your business mm. is pretty big, and that would get you. Uh, that's gotten me through a lot of um, times that could have been extremely stressful, and there's still stress. I, I you know, the Bible says, "Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything through prayer and petition." With mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, present your request to Christ, and the peace, the peace, the peace of Christ will transcend all understanding. And so, um, the, the stressful, the, the stressful times is when I, you know, I, I really appreciate my relationship with the Lord, because I know through Romans eight twenty eight that all things happen for our good. I think that maybe I take that out of context sometimes, but, um, but I, I try to think about that when things are going right, going wrong. And Lord, don't, don't know what you got in store, but, but I'm going to trust you. Mm-hmm. That's helped me through a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things we always talk about to people that come on the podcast about how do you handle pressure? How do you handle situations when they're not going your way mm-hmm. how do you handle confrontation and so that right there in itself if i was asked that question that's probably yeah the best answer is... well that's how i handle it i think and um yeah it's it's certainly helped me with that and uh when you rely upon the lord and trust him uh, you can see he does mighty things some mm-hmm. would say things are coincidental or things yeah way to go john sure. well it's not always me. It's the good Lord. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there's great comfort in that relationship for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's neat to give thanks to him uh, when things are going good. Absolutely. So let's dive into your faith aspect a yeah. little bit. When did faith become something that was 
important to you. You said you grew up in a Catholic yeah. family around the church, but you didn't say it was necessarily it was more of a box checking. Yeah. When did it become real and something that you felt like you had a, a strong faith and belief in God and a relationship with Him? Yeah, I. Um, it became... Well, let me back. I went to a, a Catholic elementary school and then uh, was with the, in the Catholic Church for 30 years. And again, I, I was certainly a box checker. I, I had heard my dad talk about a relationship with the Lord and didn't really know what that meant. He was very involved in the Curcio, which was the Catholic version of the walk to a mass. Uh, but never thought about it because I was... Um, in hindsight, probably pretty self-centered and just looking for my fun, having fun doing things, and mm-hmm. la la la. Uh, so when did it become more apparent? Become more apparent, I think, when I married Kathy, or even when we were starting to date, because she had she was a member of the Presbyterian Church. Her comes from a long line of Presbyterian ministers. Her dad, grandpa, uncles, aunts, cousins, got a bunch of them in the family. Um, but she took me to a Presbyterian church, and like, hmm, I'd never really heard preaching quite like that before. And then when we moved to Tulsa, um, we got plugged in at First United Methodist Church, and Dr. Buzz Kirk would just bring the wood week in and week out. And I found myself where um, it seemed like, where Mass, when we went to the Catholic Church, would be. You know, back in the day, 45 minutes to an hour. And I'm like, looking at my watch, ready to get out. Uh-huh. And But then we're, we joined a Sunday school class, First United Methodist. And, and with that and the service, we'd spend three hours at church on a Sunday morning. I loved it. It was great. I'm like, such a different, uh, you know, it was just different. It was fun. It was cool. And most of my cronies in Tulsa today are, are, uh, guys that were in our Sunday school class. So I was around different people. Uh, my brother-in-law, Brad Camp, uh, he really lived it. Um, and and uh, he was influential. My father-in-law certainly was uh, influential in, in taking my faith serious and uh, and seeing the joy that comes with that. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't realize the joy that came with that at the time. But also, Kathy was extremely influential in me, and she was, um, I can still remember <clears throat> when we were just married, she would, she, she, I can still picture her sitting at the kitchen table doing a devotional, and it's kind of, this brings a tear to my eye, but I'm, I got out of bed, I'm like, what are you doing? She said, I said, a devotional, I said, what is that? I, don't, I didn't know what that was, mm. and she kind of explained what she's doing, I, I said, wouldn't you rather sleep in? And do this? She said, no. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. But I, uh, I at the time, didn't know what a devotional was and, and hadn't seen that. But So Kathy is a, a woman of very strong faith, and she has absolutely been influential to me in my faith. Also, uh, the Sunday school group that I mentioned has been extremely uh, impactful just to be around a bunch of guys that love the Lord um, is uh, you know it's iron sharpening iron mm-hmm. for sure we had uh, it's interesting how a bunch of a lot of my uh, cronies from back in Kentucky how we've evolved too through a relationship with the Lord and I think we always probably had something a little bit but we never talked about it so mm-hmm. and I'm dating back to 
<clears throat> right before I moved, or maybe, no, we just moved to Tulsa, actually, so early 90s. We just got finished playing softball, and I was at my buddy Joe McGinnis' house, and and uh, we were talking, and his dad and my dad were very good friends, best of friends, really, and very involved in Curcio. And I said, Joe, I said, we always talk about, you know, sports and and girls and stuff, so we never talk about the most important thing in our lives, a relationship with the Lord. And we ought to, um, you know, why don't, we, why don't we ever talk about that? Mm-hmm. He didn't have a good answer either. So we... We decided we'd get uh, two other of our buddies, uh, Gary Palmer, Steve Niehaus, Joe Mack, and myself. We went to Phoenix for a weekend and did a little retreat and just dug into the Bible like none of us had ever done before. Really? And we kind of locked ourselves into a Hampton Inn for two days. And it was a, it was a blast. We had a great time. And we it was just really, we challenged each other to put a little fish on our car. Like, man, what are people going to think? These guys, holy rollers now or something, uh-huh. and so even that's, yeah, even that was like, I don't know if I want to do that. What are people, yeah, but so we uh, that turned into what we called C three and C three, we started doing retreats. We started inviting other guys that we grew up with, um, to a weekend retreat, and that went strong for probably eight, maybe ten years, and and then. Uh, went uh, kind of fizzled out but we probably had I don't know 40 or 50 guys that would that, that popped in and it was some of them were in all in others were wasn't their cup of tea mm-hmm. you know put them out of too far out of the comfort zone um, but it was a great season in life yeah really cool so I've had I've had uh, yeah a lot of influential people but it's cool when it's it's interesting because these guys are my best buds since grade school and high school. But when you start enter, when you start bringing the Lord into things, this relationship that was right here all of a sudden just not all of a sudden over time it just kind of skyrockets and so it, it's it's been super cool uh, to share um, our faith with each other and your best buddies. Talk about faith and how it's important to you. Let's talk about being a a, a father um, to your kids because you got three boys. Ty is one of my best friends, mm-hmm. and uh, Austin and Chandler. They're all except one is about to be married. So yeah, all, three in ten months. Yeah, so they're you got new additions to the family. But just talk about being a parent because um, I think when my family got to know your family, I don't know what maybe. I was probably kindergarten, I think. Maybe. Yeah, you and Tyler were kindergartens when uh, your mom, Julie, and yeah. Kathy got to be buddies, and the relationship started then. Yeah, just talk about what do you think it means to be a good father? Wow. Um, that's a big question. It is. I think being consistent is a huge thing. And, uh, yeah, you're catching me a little off guard, so I got to think about this for a second. That's but okay. I think, yeah, yeah, that's actually a pretty good word. I think for a good father, be consistent, because mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what I think kids can see your inconsistencies a whole lot better than you might think. Um, I think uh, try to be a good role model. Try to love your wife well mm-hmm. and role model that, which I could certainly improve on. Um, uh, I think uh, to be there for them 
to try to gain their trust to where uh, you can talk about uh, things maybe that uh, if you don't have that trust factor you couldn't talk about it. man see you gotta tear my eye again thinking about my kids yeah love my boys yeah I always thought I'd have a basketball team badly if, uh, <laughs> with three boys and you know and not all of them love basketball <laughs> yeah. but gotta love them so um well and that's another I think that's another great point too because I could sit here and I could I could talk about what I see from my perspective yeah but just in just in that comment right there, you know, you're a big sports guy. I would say all three of your boys have totally different interests, no but question. you you love them equally. And I think that is yeah. a very very consistent um, approach to parenting. It's not like necessarily I don't know if you're trying to do that, but you just you care about each one of your kids, no matter what their interests are, no matter what they want to do or be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just always present. You're there for them. And that's one of the things that I could watch just being around. I mean, it didn't matter if it was a basketball game or going to a play. I think most likely you're going to be there, right? Oh, yeah. 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 We didn't. Kathy, too. I mean, neither of us missed too many events. Yeah. I've seen uh, many of Chandler's performances like four or five times within <laughs> three days. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't want to miss them. Yeah. Uh, I want to be there for them. But it's interesting how your kids introduce you to. Uh, avenues in life that you never thought you would go or enjoy and so for me before Chandler to think I'd go to the theater let alone spend money on a ticket to go to the theater <laughs> like forget it a musical uh-huh. no, I'm out now I just love it I'd, I'd just soon go see a musical as go to a ball game yeah in fact I'd rather typically go see a, a musical than go see a ball game um, so yeah I mean your kids certainly um influence your interest i think mm-hmm. in a lot of ways i mean you guys see a lot even in, in baseball part of that becomes your community and i'm sure your mom and dad would enjoy going to your games and develop friendships there and stuff and mm-hmm. so uh but yeah i'm i'm uh i'm crazy blessed to have three healthy boys and all of them uh are christians which is important yeah to me. that's to me is the biggest thing you can do for your kid is uh, try to nurture that relationship with the Lord mm-hmm. as best you can because you know time on earth is pretty short compared to eternity in heaven so, yeah absolutely so I want to I want to hang out with my boys and my daughter-in-laws and my grandkids in mm-hmm. my uh, in heaven so you know I think just uh, trying to uh, nurture that relationship as best you can and build that foundation in them yeah, uh, and it's so that they'll always be grounded in the Lord. How do you feel like you go about that? Like, I mean, how do if you're a parent, how do you try to impart, um, you know, faith in a kid's life? Um, I think first of all you gotta live it, because you that's a consistent thing, and you can't if you're not role modeling it well, then I don't know how you're gonna teach it well. Mm-hmm. And so I think having them plugged in, we tried hard to get them plugged into um, the kid. When we go to Sunday school class, they'd go to their classes, and none of them really like going there for some reason. Uh-huh. Uh, but we, uh, when we were making the decisions, you know, they were going there, and then we we uh, went to some different churches trying to get them plugged in, and that didn't work so well. But but also sending them to Christian schools. Um, Two of them went to Metro Christian, one Holland Hall, 
and uh, then the Regent days. You remember the Regent days, Bailey? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so how do you do? I mean, be open to talking about it, and uh, and just live it. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. You gotta you gotta live it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I do that well. I try. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm inconsistent. I'm a sinner like everybody else. I, sure. I screw up. But um, uh, Kathy, I mean, I, she when the very few times that we'd ever get in a disagreement uh, in our marriage in 31 years, <laughs> yeah, she taught she she's she's awesome. She taught me a great lesson, I think, and that uh, I don't know how people don't ever go to bed uh, upset with each other in a marriage from time to time even though I know we're not supposed to but uh-huh. she'd wake up the next morning and say it's a new day let's start over mm-hmm. and I always appreciate that and I think that's a great way to live life yeah if uh, today's a new day let's start over mm-hmm. so I think that's a great because there's lots of marriage books out there and or people giving advice on marriage and they always say you know solve your problems before you go to bed and yeah. I think some people I think, would never go to bed. I know that's what I was about to say. I don't think some people ever go to bed. Yeah, then you get grumpier because you haven't got any sleep. I, exactly. So I think uh, you know that's the way itself. that's the way Chan and I kind of work. I think when we have any disagreements, you know, we try to solve the problem, but at the same time, we go to bed, we wake up the next day, and I mean, it's a new day, and that's one of the I, I think a huge blessing um, that God put in my life for her to have that approach, and we both, you know, are, are incredibly well connected we love each other tremendously mm-hmm. same with you and your wife but i think that's a great skill set each day is a new day not to hold grudges against people um to be able to forgive and, mm-hmm. and to move on from that stuff but i think also it's you know not trying to give any marriage advice but it just brought this thought of how we're all different people and we all work differently so find the best way to make it work for you but also remember each day is a new day, and try to have a new perspective each day. Yeah. It makes a difference. And it's easier to sit here and talk about, but frankly, yes. it's harder to live. Yes. So there's a whole lot of stuff we can sit here and talk about. And sure. Yeah. Sound like we're really smart guys, and we really live it. But yeah. Well, you might, but I don't. So no, no, no. I, I mean, sometimes you you know what you should do and, and, and supposed to do, but you, you don't always do it. And frankly, pride gets in the way way too much. Mm-hmm. So, you know... I, I didn't do anything wrong. Why do I need to ask for forgiveness? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, obviously men struggle with that probably more so than women. But sure. The pride thing's pretty tough. Yeah. But we could spend a whole other podcast on that, Bales. We probably don't need to go down that yeah. rabbit hole. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you said growing up initially... You know, you'd be at the country club and thinking, "This is if I could, if I could be a member of the country club, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd have made it." Heck yeah, that's what I thought back then. Yeah. So how has that changed over time? And you know, what do you think was that success in your mind, or? Oh, at my in my immature mind back then, sure, sure, because I saw what I thought were successful guys because uh-huh. you, know, you made it. You know, when, when, before you, maybe even at younger ages, we all, not all, a lot of people put that uh, mantra of success as being dude made a lot of money Mm -hmm. and that's that could be deemed as success maybe Uh, but for me I'm not sure I define success as that anymore 
How do you find it now? I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> now i got to think that. Uh-huh. How am I going to define it now? <laughs> oh, success now is, um, what is it right now? You know, I'm in, boy, I'm in, it, it has, it's different aspects of my life. I mm-hmm. mean, my marriage, uh, trying to, uh, you know, just make that as, as good as it can be. Uh, my relationship with my kids is, if I, that's success to me. If uh, mm-hmm. I want to keep a great relationship, you know, I'm real involved in the Boys and Girls Club, as are you. And, uh, you know, success to me is when a kid comes up to you and said, hey, you know what, this this or that, you, you impacted me. When a, uh, at a younger age, you told me this or that. I had that experience recently. And so that to me is makes me feel great that you know efforts are not in vain but also um i think that's kind of success i think loving people well Mm -hmm. fulfilling the great commission is success you know leading people to christ is success Mm -hmm. it's a whole lot different than money yeah but you know i say that bailey but it's interesting i mean through the grace of god we have a little bit of money now and Mm -hmm. that hadn't always been the case when we got three kids in private school (laughs) and so sometimes you got to be careful what you when you say things like that because okay it's kind of like okay i can check that box because we got a little bit of spare money now yeah and so that's not success anymore but if i were sitting here without a dime in my pocket would i say that money is a part of success I'd probably say yeah mm-hmm. so I think it's all life is about perspective and how you perceive things is your reality so yeah. I mean so but if I was sitting here you know with not knowing where my next meal's coming from I'd probably think money was <laughs> uh, a, a definition of success so mm-hmm. I'm only telling you from my perspective and where I'm at right now so it's a little it, 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 I don't think it's a horrible thing for somebody to say yeah, well, I'd like to get enough money to buy a house. Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, would be part of success. Sure. If that's your only success. That's the only thing you're after. I think you need to look at your life and maybe get, try to get a little more well-rounded. Yeah. I think, that, I think that for that to be an aspect of your success, is, I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Ed Milet. No. No. He really, in my opinion, he sums it up because that is something that always gets talked about money doesn't matter but it does matter because you have to provide for your family yeah. you have to provide Thank necessities you. you know if you set goals and you want to you know own a house one day that like you said that could be success in some facet mm-hmm. but i think um he equated this to like happiness people think you know when you have x amount of dollars you'll be happy and his his process was saying like he he's always he's wanted to have a private jet he's done really well in business mm-hmm. he says if I'm to sit here and tell you that, you know, flying on a private jet doesn't make me happy, I'd be lying to you. Yeah. Like, I like flying on my private jet. Yeah. When I get up there, I'm looking I out. Know. Yeah. He's got a house on the beach, and that's where he always wanted he, So he's looking out at the beach every morning. It makes him happy. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't provide him with fulfillment. That's what he says. He's like, yeah. it's not going to provide you with fulfillment. Fulfillment to him is his faith impacting people, yeah. um, the Great Commission type thing. So I think that's a, another way of looking at it. Uh, and not to get all consumed into worldly things, but um, it's so important that you are able to define success in the right perspective and understand what truly matters. So, like, faith is obviously probably the foundation for you. 
mm-hmm. and then everything kind of stems from that. And hopefully, you know, that that's what it is to me. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I always do really well at it. But that's the standard. And so, how can I have that perspective? Even though I can get deterred in so many ways, I can think about wanting to make money. I can think about wanting to, you know, move my way up into certain things. But it always, you always have to get corrected back to what truly matters and what's most important. And uh, I think you well do, stated. You do a good job of that. Well. I'm a work in process. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the things Thank I wanted you. to touch on with you. Um, you know, as we start kind of to wrap this up, um, excellence is something that we talk about on this show. Uh, for me, building excellence is very important. And I just want to know, how would you define, what does excellence mean to you and how do you define building excellence? I knew you guys had a question. Mm-hmm. I, and I, 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 I don't know that I have a great answer for mm-hmm. you. Excellence to me uh, can be more simplistic, and excellence can come in uh, simple things like um, integrity and character and honesty and mm-hmm. and things like that. To me, those are words associated with excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, commitment, I think, is uh, is a big one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm committed to my family. I want to. I want to die uh, one minute before my wife dies, okay, when we're both 90-something. Yeah. I mean, I want to be with her. That's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, want to, um, I want to honor God in the things I do, in, our, in tithing, and mm-hmm. that's important to me. Giving back is important to me. I think uh, kind of, you know, I'd hate to get to heaven and, and, and I may get there and God says, man, I gave you so many things, to, so many tools in mm-hmm. your toolbox and you only used a hammer, you know, instead of using all these other things. So um, I think excellence might be figuring out all them other tools that God's given you and how you can use them to, uh, for uh, kingdom business, mm-hmm. you know, I think... Uh, Excellence, uh, gosh darn! Now I'm really thinking of some things. To me, um, <laughs> we'll spit them all out. Yeah. No, I mean I, I'm 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 definitely spitballing here. <laughs> but excellence would be um, keeping a in, in keeping a mindset of being about kingdom business and being about God's business, even during your life and your workday, keeping that that perspective in mind that. You know, I'm, I'm uh, God's son, uh, and he loves me, and, and we want to, and I need to leave, love other people well, you know. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord your God with all your uh, strength and might, and love your neighbor yourself. So, you know, to me, that's excellence, mm-hmm. uh, doing those things. Well, that's good I, think I, could, I think I could run with a lot of different aspects of my life, but in general... Well, and I, I think, think that might be it because you can put excellence in marriage and work and parenting and things mm-hmm. like that. And I think you might get a little bit a smidge different. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that too, from my perspective, just obviously being around you and the people that have just listened and, t- and tuned into a little the things that you just said, um, I think you're very present where you are when I'm around you. You know, when we're Boys and Girls Club, you're present with the kids. 
um, a point that I, I try to, I was thinking about writing all these things down as you're going yeah. through, but I'm trying to keep them in my head. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you got but it on tape, right? So we do have it on tape so I can look back at it. But yeah. in the moment right now, one of the things you talked about was you texted, uh, just a thought to your brother the other day. Yeah. Just an mm-hmm. encouragement saying, thank you. That's something simple. I feel like that's something that's everyday excellence. I think that's something you can do. That's a simple practice for anyone to do. Is just say thank you to the people that are around you that have made an impact on you. You're good at that. You got that. But I agree with you. I think that's an awesome thing. Yeah. I mean, and I think we don't tell people how we feel about them enough mm. until their funeral. And yeah. so your funeral, and everybody tells them. What a great guy this cat was. You can't hear it. <laughs> I know. Well, hopefully you hear it from upstairs. Oh, yes, true. But uh, maybe. But at any rate, I don't think you really care by the time you got into the kingdom of heaven. Sure. Uh, and so um, I, I like to tell people how what mm-hmm. I think about them. Yeah. And, and you affirm them and the kids. Try to. I mean, yeah. But, but you're present. You're saying I'm always present. Uh, you see that side of me. I'm not always present. By sure, talk sure. to Kathy. Okay, I know. talk to my sales coordinator. Yeah, and they say, "Didn't I just tell you that an hour ago?" I'm like, "What? Yeah, where were you? Where was I?" <laughs> so sure. You might you might say and think I'm present, uh, but uh, that's not always the case. Yeah, so. but just going back to some of those things when we're, we're with kids of the Boys and Girls Club. You're present with them. You're encouraging them. You're speaking positivity in their into their oh, life, yeah. mm-hmm. which is a huge, huge thing that uh, needs to be spoken more of to so many people. Like encourage yeah. and build up kids, especially kids, really anybody. But that's something that's there. You got to know your audience. Yeah, you got to know what you're doing and stuff. And so yeah. you'll remember the early days of the Boys and Girls Club when. Old Yankee. Maybe Yankee's watching here. Yeah. You remember Yankee, don't you? I do remember Yankee, yeah. So he and I played a little knockout. Yankee's probably in the, what, third, fourth, fifth grade. This is time. a good Do you story. know this story? Yeah. yeah, I was there for that. Oh, you were there that day. Uh-huh. Okay, so we were just playing, and and I was in and Yankee kind of did a flop on a charge call. And, you know, here I am, big dude, and Yankee's this big. And so Yankee... And I started calling, hey, we're going to call that the Yankee flop. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then I was just razzing a little bit. And then later on, he and I went over and we just played knockout. Yes. Yeah. And I happened to beat him when the kid, the kid could shoot. I know, you know, I'm a lot older, but he's a good player. And how old, I mean, how old was he at the time, too? Oh, I, I, don't, young you, kid. You'd, you'd probably, I guess, fourth, fifth grade, maybe. Yeah, young kid. So I, I beat him. He walks off the court and he flips me off. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck was that all about? And it hit me right then. This kid doesn't need an old man to come in and ras him. He needs mm-hmm. somebody to love on him. Yeah. He needs somebody encouraging to build him up. And uh, that was a pivotal point in in the things and how my approach at the Boys and Girls Club. You know, these kids, a lot of them don't have a dad in their life. They, don't, they might have a mom, uh, but they don't need some old man coming in and calling them the Yankee flop and giving them a hard time. They need somebody to, to love them and to... And so that's I changed my approach right then. Like I'm, I'm speaking words of encouragement to these kids. I'm appropriately hugging them because they don't get that from another mm-hmm. guy. You know, it's that love languages thing. And so I'm gonna try to keep love languages front and center when I'm talking, particularly these young guys. Cause they don't get to hear. You're gonna, what do you just dream about something, man? You're gonna dream big, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna be big time. You're gonna. Might not be the NBA, but you're gonna be really successful. You're gonna love on people well. You're gonna, you know, just 
things like that. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, yeah, that, that was cool. That experience was really neat. And, and then Yankee, I started approaching him differently. And unfortunately, he moved away. Yeah. And uh, I tried calling him, oh, probably a year ago or so. Or no, I text him, I'm sorry. And his mom got at the phone and said, who is this? Yeah. <laughs> and then it was just kind of got weird. Like, yeah, I was yeah. a friend of his. I'm an old man. Yeah. yeah. And I was a friend of his down at the club. So, <laughs> But at any rate, so I'll still try to reach out to him. I know he's down in, uh, I think, Fort Worth area. Yeah. And uh, hopefully one day our paths will connect again. Actually, you know what's funny? I, I forgot about this. So we're down at the club one day. This has been years or a year or more after he, after he left. Yeah. And uh, somebody sneaks up behind me and gives me this big bear hug. It's Yankee. I'm like, oh, my praise God. That's so cool. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a seed that was planted. Mm-hmm. Not just me, but you and other people that hang out down there. So, but again, I I, I don't want to over, overstate my impact there. It's just few, hopefully you're affecting a few kids. You know, Jamar yeah. Giddens, he's the one that's. He's the one impacting kids, mm-hmm. lots of them. Well, I think we all have we all have opportunities in front of us to be present and impact the people that are around us mm-hmm. in whatever way that is. could be big, could be small, but if you try to be intentional about uh, being positive people, you know, encouraging people, building people up. Yeah. I mean, that's a big, big deal that many people don't often get, unfortunately. So that's something that I see that you do. And also something I want to point out, too, is you know, as you're talking through these stories or if I say something, uh, humility is a trait that you have. You know, you don't like to talk about yourself much. You don't like to tell. Hey, I'm talking today. But you do. I got you to talk today. Yeah. But humility where, you know, we could sit here and I could, I could probably rattle off your resume. I could talk about how well you've done in business and all the accounts that you have as well as all the things that you've done on the boards that you've been on and the people that you've impacted, the uh, organizations that you've helped uh, get going, you know, we could talk probably a long time about, I don't know if it's exactly right, but the, the organization that you do over in Kentucky, I think you go back every year for, um, well, or team seven, maybe the yeah. ALS. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 That, that get us, um, yeah. That was a cool story. Yeah. So we were able to raise a couple million dollars to start a foundation mm-hmm. at the university of Kentucky because my best buddy, uh, Kevin Heydrich, uh, died of ALS back in, Let's see, oh, oh, five, yeah, and so, but we, when he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, we started fundraising for him and Jill, his wife, thinking they might need some money. And Kevin said, "No," nah. said we we raised, we had a golf outing, think we'd raised ten or twenty thousand dollars. We ended up raising sixty thousand. Like, wow, that was crazy. Yeah. Here, Kev, and Kev said, "No," nah. he said, "I want to help other people with it." So mm-hmm. having people like that in my life, wonder. Your best buddy wants to do that, and and then he set a goal. I want to raise a million dollars and start a foundation to for the study of ALS. So okay, so we, I say we loosely. I I didn't do tons of work because I'm in Tulsa and it's going on in Kentucky, <clears throat> but um, that was raised, and then Kevin said I want to raise another million dollars for to help people that don't have the funds for wheelchairs or step vans or things like that so mm-hmm. a couple of years after he uh, died that fund was uh, those funds were raised and there was a second foundation set up so that's pretty cool God's put me in some pretty interesting spots to be 
to have some really neat experiences and mm-hmm. uh, and just to watch Kevin through his process was crazy impactful to me too when you yeah he when you you see a guy who's diagnosed with that but uses his disease really to honor Christ it's pretty impact what's well, really impactful mm-hmm. so yeah he was a Kevin was he was a stud mm-hmm. I miss him yeah but um, going back mm-hmm. to all that stuff you say you've been in a lot of guys put a lot of things in, um, mm-hmm. in place for you to do but you've also taken just I don't even know if you think it's intentional or not but you've taken the step to hop into some of that stuff too and that's a big component like your mom just, mm-hmm. just doing it yeah yeah so you're well okay you, i'll give you that yeah Maybe. i mean you just you, go you have options it. in life you can choose to get involved or mm-hmm. not you can choose to start stuff or not start stuff and it's on your heart but yeah okay mm-hmm. i don't do too good with those things bales you know that but yeah like that's put me in some neat spots and yeah we've yeah. been we're able to start some things it's been pretty cool mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah absolutely okay we'll wind it down uh, a few questions I have um, about hot dogs. We're gonna do yeah. They weren't world famous, buddy. You we're gonna do a, a you quick round. You can get the hot dogs at up at the Reesers, by the way, or yeah, wherever you shop. They maybe, weren't world famous. Maybe I, we'll, I lied to you. I lied to you back then. I please forgive me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you lie. They're pretty good. So. <laughs> but maybe we'll have another podcast uh, where you talk about how you make the hot dogs. Oh, okay. We'll have, there we'll have you a couple go. hours for that one. That works. So. What we're gonna do is like a little quick round where I'm gonna, you know, say a few words and then you finish the sentence, okay? So this this is you're grading on a curve, buddy. Yeah. Favorite food is um skyline chili. Can I have more than one? I love all my Cincinnati favorites. Okay, what are those? Skyline chili, Geta. Kathy makes like the best steak in the world too. Okay. So I like that, yeah. That's enough. Favorite athlete of all time? Me. No, I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, my favorite athlete. Aside from yourself. Well, I'm gonna go. Let's see. Old school, and I'm gonna say Tony Perez, but I'd have to think about that. Tony was a bonder. He, he he's a was very influential in the Big Red Machine, first baseman, Hall of Famer. Okay. But. Uh, he was a great locker room guy. When they traded him in 77, the big red machine just didn't win another World Series and kind of dispersed. And in hindsight, the general manager, Bob Housem at the time, said that was the worst trade I've ever made. I didn't realize how impactful Tony was mm. in the locker room and bringing people together. So I'm going to go with the big doggy Tony Perez okay. right now. But I'd probably, if you gave me time, I'd probably think of somebody else. You know, I dig, frankly, the guys that... Um, that are devout Christians and it shows even through their athleticism mm-hmm. so there's quite a lot of those out there nowadays which is pretty cool yeah but, absolutely but I gotta go back to the 70s and the big doggy okay um, discipline comes from practice you can do anything if your wife says okay <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta think about that I can do anything if if, 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 oh my, and I'm supposed to have a one word answer to this? You can have one word, you can have a couple, couple words, couple sentences. I can do anything 
Through Christ who strengthens me. How there about that? That works great. <laughs> so I stole good. that one from... So I don't know where. I think I read that on a bathroom wall somewhere. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, God. Uh, if I could do it all over again, I would... I wouldn't change much. I like the way, I like the way things have gone for mm-hmm. the most part. I... I was a knucklehead for sure back in the day, but I think I'm a better man today because I was a knucklehead back then. I learned a lot about uh, life and maybe things not to do. And I think God puts you through a whole lot of experiences in your life so that you can learn and and you can also relate to other people that might be going through that and mm. stuff in, in their lives. So, yeah. Favorite vacation spot? Anywhere when I'm anywhere next to my wife. Okay. No. That's a lot of places. I know. (laughs) She's a traveling machine. Uh, We've been to a couple European cruises that were off the charts. So I'm going to go with that European Mm -hmm. cruise thing where you just eat like there's no tomorrow and see see really cool stuff that you've only seen in in books before. That works. Is there a favorite piece of advice that you ever received or what advice would you give to young people just starting careers today? Um, wow. I, I tell the kids at the club a lot. I said, just make good decisions. Make smart, make good decisions. I still like work work uh, smarter, not harder. But, mm-hmm. you know, you know, what the, you know when you're making decisions if they're good decisions or not. Yeah. You know, most of the time, not all the time. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to play it out. Um, yeah. Make good decision. Keep the Lord close to your heart. Mm-hmm. Be prayerful in your decisions. That's good advice. So, Mr. B, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being a great um, mentor to myself, to many other kids, to being a great friend, mm-hmm. being a great person, and, and just being someone that truly exemplifies uh, what it means to live the right way. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. And hopefully we'll, maybe we'll have you on again for the Skyline uh, Chili <laughs> Hot Dog Recipe. That sounds good, so. Bailey. Thank you. I love you, buddy. Yep. Hey, everyone. It's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.